I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me on this occasion, being a little while, but you might have heard of him, it's Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. What have you got to say for yourself? <laughs> it's been a while. I mean, explain yourself. Apologize to the people who've been missing their fix of Jordan Tresky, and believe me, they have. I've been here working tirelessly, putting out podcasts with basically, you know, working hard, going, okay, can I find a different guest? What can I do? Okay, I need to do this one solo. And what happens is the episode goes up and the first response I get is, when's Jordan coming back? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's your apology from Jordan Tresky. I yes. hope that was worth the wait, everyone. I misplaced wires. That's what happened. No, uh, yeah, it was a long saga of trying to find a connection to the interwebs, climbing up electrical poles, getting fined for climbing up electrical poles. Uh, yeah, it was, oh my God, good Lord. Sounds a bit like... Sounds a bit like the last few weeks for the books while you're away. The books, yeah. I, I feel like when you were probably last on an episode with us, things were probably pretty good. Was it in the six and six wins out of seven run around that time? Sounds I, I, right. Sounds about right. And the last, then, the last game I saw live until I actually saw it at the Bradley Center last week uh, was the Blazers game. And that was a like that was like a good game. They stunk, or stunk, skunk, stunk. I don't know how to say this. Uh, they they gave them a pretty good game, uh, and that was the last time I saw the Bucks. And then now nicknames are being bandied about the Marquee Three, the Keg, EKG, Brew Three, which was Jordan personally Jordan. offensive. KGB. Oh yeah, I forgot KGB about that. is easily the best one. Um, I didn't plan on getting into that, but here we are catching up on month-old news with Jordan Tresky talking books, nicknames. That Portland game was actually only the second game of that six wins in seven game streak. So last time you were here, things weren't actually good. You missed the good. You were just kind of, it was just after the loss to Utah, the loss to Washington, Dallas, that sort of time. You but take I- the good, you take the bad. What do you have? The facts of life. 
Should we talk about some current books now? Yeah, well, I was just going to say the brewery that Jason Kidd put out there in a press conference this week. That was the most offensive thing that he said during that press conference personally. He's the only, he's the only one who suggested that name. No one yeah, else has awful. suggested it. Which it's awful. It shows he's been listening in, though. He's had his idea. Jason Kidd's got a burner account. I think that's what we can take from the brew tree. Yeah, he's probably got he's probably got one of those avatars too to to make it seem to like blend in. To blend like, in, to blend he's in. got one of those avatars. You want to elaborate on that? What they are, everyone will know already. Oh yeah. What I want to talk about to start us off isn't the brew tree. We talk about the brew tree all the time. Never, never stop talking about that brew tree. The guys we don't talk about quite as much, and between them over the last two games, they've all come up with really big contributions, and generally have been having excellent seasons up until this point, are Malcolm Brogdon, John Henson, and Tony Snell. That trio, they are kind of the glue that keeps everything together for the books when Milwaukee is playing well. Um, Snell and Henson in particular that applies for us as starters and as kind of almost the faceless nameless starters in the books in the books starting lineup which I mean that f- suits Tony Snell pretty well I'd imagine but on the whole <laughs> they've just been kind of giving exactly what the books could ask of from them the most recent example came from Henson and Snell against Jordan Hitler, thunder. The Thunder. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Against the Thunder. When John Henson continued his incredible run of scoring form. 18 points. 18 points for John he Henson. Led, he, I, I was doing the tweet that I, he was leading the Bucks in scoring at like midway through the third quarter. It was, <laughs> I was taking it back as, as everybody was seeing that. I was like, what? And he also, if I'm remembering correctly, it was 18.6 rebounds, four blocks, two assists. Yep. Which is a hell of a game. It's even more impressive when it comes in off the back of the night before. He was 7 of 7 from the field for 14 points against the Timberwolves. And they're not really, like, just any old matchups either. They're teams with, you know, pretty significant centers and big, powerful centers. Although Carlton Towns may not necessarily leverage that strength in the best possible way at all times towns and stephen adams for different reasons aren't necessarily the kind of centers you'd expect john henson to traditionally play really well against and yet here he is and that's really just an extension of his season overall to date tony snell to add tony snell into the mix had his ups and downs recently and his shooting has dropped off a little bit when i say it's dropped off though 48.6 percent for the field (laughs) 42.9% 42.9% from tree. Still leading the books with the exception of Mirza, who it's been a while now since we've seen Mirza in action, but leading the books in three-point range of players who've played more than 10 games. And I think the new wrinkle that we've seen with Snell, I guess we saw the times for the latter part of last year, is just this ability to catch fire. Like he did in that, was it the first or the second quarter against the Thunder? Definitely first half. First end of the quarter, first. For end of the first, when they really pushed the lead yeah. out to 22. And he had yep. this just burst where it wasn't just kind of he was shooting trees. He was perfectly coming onto everything as a trailer, stepping in and with no hesitation, knocking down. Even kind of relocating, trees. too. Right. 
he just looks so confident shooting the ball. He looks really confident and improved generally. And even though he's had some tougher games, even though he's had to deal with, I mean, bizarre, bizarre spells coming off the bench, thanks to, you know, Jason Kidd's Jason Kidness, yeah. Tony Snell is still doing a really, really great job for the books this year. Lastly, rookie of the year, Malcolm Brogdon had his own kind of experience of, you know, what happens when you play under Jason Kidd against the Timberwolves. But even with his own drop-off of sorts recently, still shooting 47.2 from the field, 38.7 from deep, averaging 12.9 points, 3 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 1 steal, only 1.4 turnovers. Really, really solid across the board. And even more impressive when you consider... Really, everything that's happened to Brogdon this year, beginning the year as a starter, having not only to change his role with the trade that brought Eric Bledsoe to Milwaukee, but also losing the teammate, which he had the best obvious in-game chemistry with in Greg Monroe, having to kind of readjust to being a bench player, to leading a second unit. There have been ups and downs, but overall, I think it's fair to say it's been really positive from Malcolm Brogdon overall. Before we talk a little bit more about all three of those guys as individuals, how important are they to the books? Is it is it a case that, okay, when the big three play to a certain level, well, the books are guaranteed to win, but when the books don't really get anything out of players like Henson, Snell and Brogdon, they're probably closer to being guaranteed to lose because that's that's how I feel. It's kind of they're the difference makers. Okay, they're not the guys who will always push you over to win, but if you get nothing from them, it's got to be really really tough to get a result. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, but for some reason, I think it's I don't know why it's him personally, but when I think of a like a good overall team game for the Bucks, I think of Tony Snell in that way because he he feels like this kind of equilibrium to the Bucks where he's not the star player he you know has the lowest usage of any player in the NBA but uh when he's hitting shots and you know he has really tough de- defensive assignments like he was you know guarding Russell Westbrook for much of last night's game and or we've seen it in the playoffs guarding DeMar DeRozan all this stuff when I think of a good team game for the Bucks I I generally think of Tony Snell kind of not leading the charge, obviously, but him being kind of the balance that he brings to the Bucks, which fair or not fair. I mean, they're, they're really thin, you know, center and that makes John Henson's contributions even more worthwhile. And, uh, you know, Thon makers kind of vanishing act, even more troubling, but, and Malcolm Brogdon has obviously been the best player the Bucks have had by far. I mean, no matter what, no matter if he's you know getting run out at at the game, for, you know, with three minutes left to go in the first half, or if he's actually being used properly by a, a sane coach, uh, he's gonna deliver being you know meaningful production and have a great impact on the team, no matter what it is. So, yeah, I I completely agree that the KGB, the Brew three, the Marquee three, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they can only do so much of the workload. And as we saw last night, uh, as we're recording this, obviously, um, when Bledsoe has a tough game and can't shots aren't falling and he's in foul trouble, all this stuff, it's on guys like Brogdon, Henson, Snell to kind of make their opportunities worth it. 
and make it you know count for the Bucks overall. And even that extends to like a guy like Delhi. I know he had some really awful attempts, but and he's not going to be in this kind of big picture scenario. But he was really steady for them when the Bucks really needed it. He had was making plays. His passes were on the money with difficult angles too. Like he's setting up laws and all this stuff. That that goes a long way as we saw last night against the Thunder. So I, I completely agree about just kind of the supporting cast kind of booing the Bucks in, you know, big, you know, big time moments. Yeah. And to mention Delhi, I mean, nine assists, zero turnovers in 25 minutes gets the Thunder. He was 0-4 from the field, no points whatsoever. And his shot really was bad. Yeah. You don't have to make shots if you've got nine assists to zero turnovers. I think that much is safe to say. Let's sort of back out with Snell and kind of that point you're making there because I think you're right. He was on Russell Westbrook for most of the game. When he wasn't on Westbrook, he was on Carmelo Anthony, though. That's yeah. kind of what every night is like for Tony Snell. I don't know if I don't know if the average books fan. I, I think Snell's a popular player, but I'm not sure if everyone appreciates just how important that is particularly when you look at Giannis and Chris Middleton both in the top five in the NBA minutes per game, because I don't know if they'd be able to do that while also taking on the toughest assignment on the opposite end of the floor every single night. Snell always raises his hand for that. He never really lets his team down. I mean, okay, he didn't lock up Russell Westbrook by any means. Russell Westbrook had 40 points. That's not necessarily a problem, though. Russell Westbrook was the only guy who did anything. He was kind of kept pretty well shackled, you know, until the last three, it was like the four first... minutes of the... I think four is even generous. To right towards the end of the first quarter, before he got any sort of joy. And yeah. if I'm remembering correctly, that was actually when Tony Snell had checked out of the game as well. So it was only when I think Brogdon came in for Snell at that point that Westbrook started to heat up a little bit. But ultimately, I mean, that early stretch was what secured the win for the Bucks against the Thunder. And it was always going to be that way, having played the game the night before. I mean, I wrote about it in the preview for the Thunder game, and it was kind of... It came true exactly as you'd expect, but the Bucks saw exactly how to beat the Thunder in how the Timberwolves played them the night before. The only thing they needed to do was not, not blow the lead entirely. So... <laughs> The Bucks went out, they got the early lead like they were going to have to do, because they were going to tire as the game went on. They managed to hold on, but Tony Snell, his defense early on, and making sure that Westbrook and therefore the Thunder couldn't get going early was key. And then, was it nine points he had in that first quarter? I, Yeah, he, he had won his other three was in the second quarter, right? So it was 12 in the first yeah. half, nine. I mean, not a lot to complain about with that. To moving on to Henson, I think a standout element of Henson's performance against the Thunder, and I guess one of the the biggest improvements in his game so far this season, has been his passing for me. I've been blown away on so many occasions by passes that John Henson is kind of breaking out from the elbow, and you're like, since when can John Henson do this? Where was this before? But I think really what it's demonstrating is he's just so much sharper and I'm not necessarily talking about physically. I just think mentally he's at a completely different level than ever before. His awareness is at a place where it used to be. I think the best example of this ties into one of those awful attempts that Delhi had against the Thunder, but 
this bounce pass that John Henson just broke out out of nowhere. I mean, he barely... Yeah, it was almost no look. He barely looked. The ball had just got to him, and he just, on the turn, put this perfect bounce pass into the pocket for Delhi to go and just, you know... it's it, 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 He basically delivered the perfect pass for Malcolm Brogdon because it was yeah. there for the reverse layup that Brogdon never misses. And Delhi, of course, airballed that overshot the reverse layup completely. But for me... <laughs> That that's a play that you just you wouldn't have associated with Henson before, not just for executing the pass successfully, but for the actual awareness and the peripheral vision to go, okay, Delhi's cutting. This pass yeah. is there to be made. So there's two elements that one is, wow, he can make that pass, but two is also he's playing in a way where he knows that pass is there to be made. I think that's kind of expanding kind of further throughout his game. I mean he's fifth in points per game he's actually averaging more than Snell because of Snell's recent difficulty but 8.5 points per game 6.5 rebounds they're not lights out numbers but they're very solid and considering the talent the books have at other positions they don't really need a whole lot more of that than that from their center uh, 1.3 assists per game 1.5 blocks per game I believe let me look it up now as I say it but I believe Henson is still kind of right around pace to set new career highs in his assist numbers across the board. I think the only season, he's dropped a little bit recently, the only season that's kind of really clearly above where he's currently at was his sophomore year, which was his career year overall. And I think a lot of what we're seeing from Henson is him kind of performing up to a level that he did play in his second year with the books. And... That really sums it all up because it's kind of the potential that Bucks fans believed Henson had and what he could bring for so long and just wasn't materializing. We're finally seeing some of that. In Henson's case, does that really just come down to he's in a position where he finally has the freedom to go out and play, make mistakes, and know, hey, I'm, I'm going to get more chances? Like, it can't be a coincidence that when he's got competition, we don't see this version of Henson. All of a sudden, they need Henson to be the guy. There's really no other option. There's Ton, that's quite the roller coaster ride. And all of a sudden, he's producing. Is that just a confidence element for him? The lack of pressure? He's a pretty laid back guy whenever you see him speak. Maybe not having kind of really intense pressure in terms of, oh, you're on the bench, someone's taking your spot in the rotation if you don't play, has benefited him. I. I... I think that certainly factors into it. And that's not unlike what happened in the second year where, you know, Larry Sanders had all of his troubles, his injuries and played like probably a little over 20 games without looking at it. That's when Henson had like the biggest run of minutes and all that. And I mean, that team was God awful, obviously. So it's not the same in that context, but given he's what he's gone through since getting his contract and the, you know, injuries that he's that's also contributed to him not really fulfilling or living up to it from our vantage point. I certainly think that's the case. And I think it's been interesting kind of reading his quotes throughout the season. And obviously he had a very strong preseason. He's honestly probably the best preseason story for the Bucks <laughs> this year. Um, just because you're like, Oh, there's something here. Maybe this, you know, can kind of parlay into it. And, we didn't obviously buy into that until, you know, a good month into the regular season. But it's – there's something different with how Henson is kind of carrying himself and just kind of addressing his 
situation, just how, you know, we laugh at the, or not laugh at it, but we kind of balk at all the stuff with kid and that's related to holding his players accountable when, you know, obviously there are so many major flaws with how kid is a, as a coach, whether it's tactically or just game management, but for player, a player like John Henson, where, you know, we know his career, there's been so many ups, there's been a few ups and there's been a lot of downs and just trying to wait that out and see where that can kind of go. I think having the opportunity to really play and not, and knowing that Moose isn't there, there's no Spencer Hodds, there's no Roy Hibbert, there's no Zaza, there's no Miles Plumley, and Thon has not been fulfilling up to what he, you know, had the potential of being last year and all that stuff. I think that really kind of makes it worth it for from his perspective of just trying to deliver for the Bucks and make it a, you know, what has been a career best season. Obviously, it, there was what the Alex Broder of Bucks.com said that he's on track to have the best field goal percentage of any Buck in the history of the team. At like I think he's got like 61.1% or something like that. <laughs> That's pretty crazy to say that about John Henson, who is efficient, but, I mean, he's doing things like, just finishing, catching lobs around the rim. That's that has not been normally associated with John Henson. So, it's it's very good to see. The other thing worth noting with him is of books not named Sean Kilpatrick, i.e., books who have played more than two games. John Henson still leads the team in net rating, six point four net rating. Um, he's just been a really positive influence overall. It's very very impressive and a very pleasant surprise. To bring it back to Malcolm Brogdon to kind of wrap this up on sort of the book's forgotten trio. We've got the brew tree. These are the the forgotten tree. <laughs> Malcolm Brogdon is following up his rookie of the year winning season about as well as I think he could have been expected to do. And maybe it's been forgotten a little bit because he's been jolted around in terms of his role and everything recently. But he's showing new things as well. His pull-up tree and transition is real. Um, I think although his percentage is down a little bit, I'm confident that can recover. And I also feel you deal with that being just below 40%, 38.7% is great still when he's probably attempting a higher difficulty of shots, you know, a greater variety of shots. He's definitely drawing more attention, I would wager. So, you know, it's... It's real progress all around, and he's not necessarily more inefficient anywhere in his game. I think it would be fair to look for him to maybe set up teammates, play and make a little bit more. His assists aren't quite what they could be, but at the same time, he's being asked to do so much more now in leading a second unit group. I think what I'm most interested to see with Brogdon is, and hey, look, we should be kind of only a month away now, six weeks away, when Jabari comes back and when Jabari inevitably starts out in the second unit, what does that look like? Can that actually do something to benefit Brogdon a little bit more? Because I really think it could do. There's just kind of a little bit more freedom, a little less attention, and someone to play with in the second unit. Because on the rarer occasions when the books get close to a full second unit lineup, and they normally only just get close, you can't really commit to a full second unit lineup, considering injuries and everything else at the moment, it's pretty ugly. I think Jabari should help open up some greater possibilities for Brogdon again. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, we talk about balance, or I brought up like bringing balance with Tony Snell. The same can be applied to Brogdon. He's not really flashy. He's 
even though he can break out a, a stare down dunk every once in a while. Uh, but he's, it's largely the same with what he's produced last year. And as you said, like his three point shot is down a little bit, but he was up at like, that's just, you know, reverting to the mean. Cause he was up like what, like 45% for a good month of the season or a little bit more than that. So I fully expect that to kind of climb back up just a, just a hair and, Basically, be what the came, the you know the same type of shooting splits as what last year was basically for him. Okay, so to to move on from those unsung heroes, I'm to bring it back to one of that big tree again. We can't can't stay away for too long. Chris Middleton is continuing to play at a really really high level. I think we're seeing a different kind of Chris Middleton this year, which maybe makes it difficult to assess him. I think. Chris Middleton, with his uh, reputation and his perception amongst books fans, might suffer a little bit just because of what early Chris Middleton looked like. Early career Chris Middleton, who was purely just 3 and D, very limited. He has since advanced his skills pretty significantly. He can do a whole lot more, and we're seeing him do that on a very regular basis. We're now into the point of the year, obviously, all-star voting is open. Hashtag NBA vote with all of your favorite players, people, as long as they're books. And we're getting to that kind of point where it's like, Chris Middleton's playing really well, All-Star game's approaching. Could he finally make his first All-Star game? What do you think, Jordan? Has he got a chance? Well, let's let's preface this by making the All-Star game. We all know it's... As much as we would like to pipe up that voting with the fan vote, Milton's chances are very, very slim from making that round. He's not going to be a starter. He's not going to be the sexy name that outside of Bucks fans are going to uh, tweet out or Facebook out or uh, send through Carrier Pigeon. Uh, Chris Milton, hashtag MVA vote. However, who knows what the coaches select? I mean, he's one of even with Bledsoe in in the fold, he's still one of the primary options that opposing teams have to look out for. And as we've said with in the past, and even with Giannis becoming Giannis as we now know today, still that type of dynamic. He's gonna he, he's gonna get you from behind the three point line. He's really good. Mid range, obviously, we know about all the tough shot express and all that stuff, and that can bite the bucks uh, in the behind a little bit sometimes. But it's he's still a a threat no matter where he is on the floor. That means for something for opposing teams to have to game plan against, and that carries a lot of favor from a coach's perspective. And as the schedule kind of picks up a little bit in terms of opponent, you know, the weight of opponent. Uh, Easter conference kind of matchup matchups that the bucks are going to have who knows how that will tilt Milton's chances. Again, it's very, it's very slim no matter what it is, but it could be a wild card. It could be an injury replacement as we've seen in the past. Who knows? He's flirting on that, on that, uh, you know, that edge of being an all-star, I would say. I mean, at the, at the moment he's averaging 20.5 points per game, 46.3% from the field. Uh, career low at the moment of 35.7% from three-point range, but considering just how poorly he started the season, 
not really all that bad at all. 5.2 rebounds, 4.4 assists, 1.2 steals, only 2.3 turnovers, which I think people need to pay attention to. I see so much about Middleton's turnovers. He really doesn't turn it over as much as people seem mm. to think he does. It's He makes a lot of passes that, yeah, I'm kind of like, okay. Uh, they make it true very often. He's not turning it over as much as people seem to just assume he is. He's top 10 amongst non-centers in terms of points per game in the Eastern Conference. It's a good start to begin with. I mean, if you're looking at the competition, LeBron and Yanis are locks. From there, it kind of opens up. Middleton may also be at the advantage that, you know, he's spent a lot of his career at the two. He's probably now a three. He could fill either spot if there was an alternate needed. His primary competition, though, if we're going more true to his position... Gotta expect Victor Oladipo's gonna get in. DeMar DeRozan's gonna get in. Then you've got guys like, say, Bradley Beal. Kemba Walker's having a good year, but the Hornets are so bad, he's not gonna have a chance. Otto Porter? I don't think it's gonna happen. You I know, don't think so either, but he's, he's kind, kind of, of... He's kind of just there. I feel Middleton would be ahead of someone like Otto Porter. Um, Like, he's... Ahead of him pretty significantly in scoring. Otto Porter's not averaging 15 points per game even. And doesn't have assist numbers, anything like Middleton. I mean, his efficiency is completely insane. He's shooting 46.6% from deep. I don't know if that's going to get you the all-star game as much as being up at the 20-point per game mark like Middleton is. It's definitely a really big month for him. How he makes an impression against those... Not necessarily just top-tier teams. It's not like this is the spell in the schedule where the books are playing the very best of the best. But what they are doing is playing a lot of their rivals. They're games that are going to matter. And if he can make a big impact in those games, I think it's going to stand to him. Are you thinking it is probably alternate if he is to get a shot? Like, Oladipo and DeRozan seem close to the locks, I would say, at this point. Unless the Pacers, obviously Aldebo's injured at the moment and the Pacers have had a little bump on the road. If they fell off dramatically and maybe he struggles a little bit more, that could change things for him. But it feels like both of those guys are on pretty pretty firm ground in terms of their all-star case. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with you on that. I, I don't think it's... I, I can't really think of anybody else that kind of comes to mind that's flirty in that area where Middleton is. Uh, just one note, too. I know you said about his three-point shooting, how it's down this year. While it is down, uh, he is, for mid-range, he's been really, really good this year. He's shooting career best, per basketball reference, I should say. Uh, from 10 to 16 feet, 51.9%. From 16 feet to the three inside the three-point line, 51% on you know a good, good amount of attempts. So when he's run off the three-point line, he has made teams pay in that regard. So... Yes, it's down, his three-point percentage is down right now, but I mean, we, we've seen the story before with Milton. It, it can easily go back up as, you know, basically the same thing with Brogdon. I, I also think it's worth noting, because I mentioned Bradley Beal there, and just taking a closer look at the numbers now, Middleton's having a better season than Bradley Beal. You know, he doesn't have the name recognition maybe, but Beal, okay, scoring more, 22.9 as opposed to Middleton's 20.5. But Middleton is kind of comfortably ahead of him in both the rebounding assist categories, 5.2 rebounds for Middleton to 4.3 for Beal, 4.4 assists for Middleton to 3.4 for Beal. Beal is actually shooting worse from three than Middleton. He's only at 35.5%, and he's 2% worse from the field. 
So, and the Wizards, I mean, have a worse record overall, too. So, it, it is kind of tough when you go past Giannis, LeBron. I mean, Oladipo, Oladipo's really a guard. So, I know positional classifications for these things are very loose. But if you're to kind of really hone in on forwards, DeRozan's probably the only other guy who should be ahead of him. If we were being pretty strict on positions. Ben Simmons is the guy we haven't mentioned here. Who there's been a lot of buzz for. And Ben Simmons is having a very good season. With how the Sixers have fallen off. It, it gets tougher I think for for them to get two guys in the game. And they're definitely going to get a beat. Yeah. Like yeah. Simmons, Simmons numbers are great. Um, 16.8 or 16.8 points per game. 8.7 rebounds, 7.6 assists. Almost four turnovers per game at the same time. But, I mean, what does all of that mean on a team that's currently four games below 500 and is the 10th seed? A couple of weeks ago, before things really started to drop off for the Sixers, I mean, they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Yeah. yeah, you'd say he was a lock, but I, that could be a tougher one now. The books would really be popular if Chris Middleton made the all-star team over Ben Simmons. That would go down really well with Sixers fans who are still <laughs> licking their wounds over rookie of the year, right? They did get behind that campaign to get Chris Middleton in over Ben Simmons. Yeah. There won't be who is Chris Middleton considering the... Oh, there will. There will. I, I know. I know. I'm joking. And I, you know okay. what? I've decided I'm all here for it. I'm ready. Yep. I'm ready for it to happen now. They'll take care of bust the process. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that one for another day. Let's move it on a little bit further. We talked a little bit about some of the key players in the East, some of the guys who Middleton is going to have to uh, kind of worry about in terms of if he wants to make his all-star debut this year. He's going to face off with quite a few of them in the next week. Um, important stretch in the schedule for the books generally. To kind of zoom out and look a little bit ahead. On the road to Toronto. Home to the Pacers. Home to the Raptors. On the road in Washington. home to the, Or on the road in Indiana as well. Home to the Magic. Home to the Warriors. On the road to Miami. On the road to Washington. Home to Miami. On the road to the 76ers. Only the Warriors from the Western Conference. In that spell of games. Which I mean. And Suns. Uh, Suns comes after. I left them out because I mean, come on, let's just let's just cut a line that you know. Yeah, that's true. Tough run of games there. Um, we'll allow the magic to be included because they just fall in the middle of tough games. But maybe just having one you Western just see Conference that the, opponent. The are gonna lose. Yeah, I, I know that. Don't worry. Um, maybe <laughs> only having one Western Conference opponent is a problem for the books, seeing as they are much better against the West. They're twelve and five against the West as opposed to seven and ten against the East. Figure that one out, everyone. But this is a real kind of test for the books, not just in the way that they've had tests, not in the way that the Timberwolves and the Thunder were a test or the Rockets and the Cavs. They've had these kind of spells where there's been tough games. That's not what's new here. It's, you know, this week is a perfect example of. These are potential playoff opponents this year. Yeah. Toronto, Indiana, Washington, all... Definitely in the mix for playoff opponents. Um, Raptors, you know, it might take second round for them to meet the Raptors. Maybe not. I mean, could still be a 4-5 matchup easily. Uh, there's so much going on in the East that they could meet 
kind of any of those teams in any order. But their teams, whether it's first round or even if we dare to dream that the Bucks win a series, you know, you could end up playing two of those teams in the playoffs this year. How important is it that they, not just for the record, but for, you know, psychological reasons, for further down the line, they make a good impression, they play well through the stretch? I think, well, it's obviously big. And as you said, there's a very, I would say there's a very good chance any of the teams that are playing, besides the Magic, uh, they'll face in the playoffs, and maybe they, they'll face more than one, if depending if they make it through the first round. But let's not counter chickens before they hatch. Um, it's very big. And obviously, the, the ones that I, the team that I'm looking forward to is the Raptors, because obviously there's playoff history, but the Raptors are really good this year. And I, I know DeMar DeRozan is not a very popular player amongst NBA Twitter, but he's a very good player. He eventually made the Bucks pay after you know going 0 for eight, and was that Game Three? Was that the Giannis post game phase where he's like, "Oh, you only paid like two points." That was the one. <laughs> um, and even though Kyle Lowry's not, his numbers aren't the same. They're getting more. There's more flexibility with the the Raptors um this year than pretty much ever before honestly there's there's OG Ananobi they have Jakob Purtl uh playing well you know they have there's there's more of a supporting cast to kind of make you think twice just a little bit when you're facing them and you know play them twice in a span of like four days or so or three days whatever it is Bucks are it's it's going to be kind of like facing them in the playoffs again in that sense. And I, I, I'm sure the Raptors are going to want to, you know, kind of kill that narrative of, Oh, the bucks, they played them well. They could have easily beaten you guys and all that stuff. I'm sure they're going to want to send a message to the bucks over this next week that they are new and improved. And, uh, they don't give, uh, a, a damn about the bucks. Yeah. I've, I've done Sorry. a lot of thinking, listening, about the Raptors this week because Zach Lowe has had his annual Raptors themed week on the Low Post podcast. Um, he had Dwayne Casey on. He then had Eric Kareen and I'm now blanking on Bruce Arthur. That's the one, Bruce Arthur. That's the second time in this podcast I was just gone blank. You know this this head cold I'm battling Jordan. It's it's getting inside my brain. But you've you've come to the rescue twice. So props to you for that. But one of the most interesting things to to come from that, it's not just, you know, the idea that the Raptors have changed. They've made very specific changes that were flagged up in a big way in that series with the books. And the coaching staff spoke about, the players spoke about it, and they were just, I mean, Jason Kidd's trap-heavy, blitz-heavy defensive scheme hasn't been good for much the one thing it has been good for is teaching the Raptors how to be a better <laughs> offensive team, how to, to be a more themselves. modern NBA team. Because what they realized was, you know, there's real benefits to making the extra pass. And if that extra pass takes it to DeRosa behind the three-point line, hey, you should shoot that. And it's kind of his own three-point shooting numbers have come off after being really higher in the year. They're now down to, I think he's at 33%. But the Raptors as a whole are just playing with a different kind of freedom, higher paced, better spacing, more energy. And I've kind of 
laughed off the Raptors bench for quite a while now. And make no mistake, I am still not even slightly intimidated by the Raptors bench. But it is a bench. You know, they are useful. They, the one, they are the very thing, solid players. The one guy that I'm sure Bucks are very scared of is CJ Meltz. He's a three-point killer whenever the Bucks play him, no matter what. That's the that is the type of guy that the Raptors. I mean, they had like what PJ Tucker, Patrick Patterson was hurt. They didn't really have that three. I guess it was Norman Powell for a couple games where he burned the Bucks in more ways than one. Uh, <laughs> but CJ Miles is the type of guy that honestly can make or break those two games. If he ha- if he goes off, I it's definitely going to go to Toronto. Yeah, you say that, though, and that's kind of almost in the context of reimagining the playoff series and going, oh, well, you know, C.J. Miles. Eric Bledsoe wasn't a book then. Like, that's true. That's this, very is, true. this is entirely different on both sides. And even with their changes, and I think you have to weigh everything up, if you were to go look at last season and be like, okay, well, if we get the books Eric Bledsoe and we give the Raptors OG Ananobi and C.J. Miles and we even kind of... You know, I, I think the books are the better team here. I feel very confident in that in terms of best books performance will be best Raptors performance. Now, the difference is the Raptors are really, really consistent and have been for yes. years. If there's one thing they're good at, it's just getting results. That is maybe the book's biggest weakness. And yeah. can the Raptors exploit the books, pick them apart, pick apart the holes that are there and particularly in the defensive end to be found? Absolutely, and they're better equipped to do that this year than ever before. If the Bucks can get on top of some of their own issues, though, they have the beating of the Raptors, without a doubt. I don't think it's a question this year with Eric Bledsoe involved. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It, it's kind of a weird, I don't know, there's something really interesting about, personally, uh, about those two teams where, as you said, the Raptors are kind of reinvented themselves gradually, uh, basically just you know forced to, considering all the big decisions that they had away this summer and stuff like that. But it's, it's very different of how we look at it where the Raptors are more, not the team oriented. I, I guess they're, they're, they're great with the, some of their parts where it's the bucks who are clearly the most talented, but it's obviously they desire the consistency that the Raptors have built in, you know, for the last, Know, four seasons at this point, five seasons. So that's a, that's a weird role reversal for the books to find themselves in with any team. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. That's what, yeah. That's, I think that's what makes it a little more interesting with these matchups coming up. The dynamic of that one is going to be interesting to see play, how it plays out with the changes on both sides. It doesn't really end there though. I mean, two games with both the Pacers and Wizards coming up very, very near future. Let's go Pacers first. I think we both reassessed the Pacers after the preseason game with them where they just looked so much better than we could have imagined. I didn't reassess them anywhere near enough. Obviously, a massive part of this has been Victor Oladipo playing like a superstar. Um, yeah. Playing like a player that I guess he was drafted to be. And maybe unsurprisingly, in Orlando, he never was going to be. In Oklahoma City, beside Russell Westbrook, he was never going to be. And it's just worked out as a really nice fit. But overall, the Pacers are a really solid team. Are you buying what they've done so far, continuing over the course of the season? I think they certainly caught people by surprise. Obviously, 
in more ways than one. You could look at the individual level with like a guy like Oladipo and Demonte Sabonis, who, you know, the second part of that Paul George trade that he's he's been very good this season. But obviously, Dave McMillan was written off like not even just last or going into the season. It was last year when that just really dreadful, boring Pacers team uh, just really. <laughs> I mean, they're what I think they were exactly forty-one and forty-one. I could be wrong about that, but they were just such a boring team to really watch. And they had a lot of problems that the Bucks have kind of flirted with. I mean, they had the guys like Monte Ellis is not even the league anymore. He was just absolutely awful for them. Guys that they just were on the tail end of their careers are not even in the league anymore, like Ellis and Stucky and all this stuff. I think you're touching on something interesting here. I. I, I consider McMillan as a coach of very obvious limitations, right? Yeah. We know we know one or two other coaches like that, right? Is <laughs> I don't it, know who you're talking about. <laughs> is it easier for a coach who do, does have kind of obvious limitations to get a group that is maybe less talented and form them as a collective, get a team effort? Because I think the, the common team that maybe you're seeing there is, you know, without Paul George, all of a sudden the Pacers can play up to a level rather than having to figure out how to utilize someone like that. And we're seeing that with the books. The better the books players get, it's not necessarily the better the books get. We can look back to how they played in kids' first season when there was no real talent there at all. Sorry, Brandon Knight-Truders, but there was no real talent there at all. And yet they got what they got out of that season where the more talent kid has gotten the roster, in many ways the tougher it's become. Like, that feels somewhat similar to what we're seeing play out with the Pacers, that, you know, okay, McMillan isn't the best coach by any means. He is probably one of the worst coaches in the NBA, and I don't even mean that to be disrespectful, even though I guess it is inherently. (laughs) But he's just got a group that he can kind of mold a certain way, and because they don't have that status, because they haven't reached a certain point, they're just buying in and they're getting results. Yeah, I, I mean, there's countless of examples in recent memory, even this year. We're seeing with the Bulls, saw with the Bucks a couple of years ago in first in kids' first year, saw with the Suns with Eric Bledsoe's first year there, the Celtics even when Stevens, uh, the second year when, when they got Isaiah Thomas and kind of ballooned up Utah. Jordan, I mean, I, Stevens, I can, Stevens doing a pretty okay job now. I know you've got. Oh well, yeah, I know you've got your Brad Stevens, your Celtics. No, Stevens, but I, well, I, I think had, he's doing I mean, okay for himself. <laughs> yes. But there's, I mean, you can go on and on about these teams that get really overlooked or just kind of people look at those returns that they get for superstars or all that stuff that people write them off heading into this year. And there's no doubt that those teams use that as kind of motivation to really come together and try to surprise some people. Detroit a couple years ago when they kind of broke out with SVG. I mean, it goes on and on about these teams that, you know, I guess surprise people. It's about the next step after that, of course. But it, you know, when the, you're kind of re, restarting and need a kind of direction to go with and all that stuff, that's where the Pacers fall in line with that perfectly. Yeah, I, I think part of it is just kind of if you've got a really top end talent, you're occasionally going to have to run creative things to get that player looks because they're going to get a lot of attention. That's not easy to do if you're not the best coach. And it's also then how you utilize your other players at the level below that, where you can play in more of an egalitarian style. You know, just kind of let's find the best shot and whoever it falls to is taking it. 
if you've got lesser talent. And, you know, that's what the Bucks did, I guess, in kids' first year. That's what the Pacers are doing to a degree this year, except, make no mistake about it, Oladipo does have his own talent. I just think he wouldn't have come into the season with the ego to match, with the status to match. So in terms of molding that team, even with him as the kind of key piece of it, that's not necessarily a difficult thing for McMillan to do. Very, very briefly, Wizards. I think we've kind of had conflicting feelings on this one in the past. The Wizards are pretty underwhelming. They've had their own struggles, like the books, though, and like most. The middle of the Eastern Conference is just so congested that teams have these bad runs, and you're like, oh, they're about, they're about to fall out of the playoffs, they're about to be the ninth seed, and then they win a couple, and you're like, oh, no, it's okay, they're back, like, four, five, six range again. Wizards are like that, 20 and 16 so far. Definite pressure, I feel, on Scotty Brooks, and I think that's going to grow. What's your impression of the Wizards overall? How do you feel about the Wizards as a team that if the books were to face them further down the line? Well, I, I would first recommend, you know, Seeds four through, I guess, 15 or 14. I would rec- recommend a little Mucinex, get rid of that congestion. <laughs> anyway, uh, about the Wizards. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think he, there's certainly pressure. And I think for Scotty Brooks, I think that Y is going to come off and he's just going to be Scott Brooks because of all that pressure. Uh, that was awful joke. Anyway, did you miss this? Did you guys miss this? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. They're, they've always been this kind of weird team where the hype around John Wall is really like, you know, kind of the next point guard to take over more of the traditional point guard, if you will, about, you know, being a really good passer per point guard. He's not the greatest shooter, but there's just something about it, about his game that is some, is still lacking something. And they have, they're defined, you know, core of Wall, Beal, and Porter, but they have like Jan Mahimi's there. Jason Smith is doing his dancing in before and after games. Uh, they're just such a, I don't know, they're kind of boring. They try to, Kelly Oubre is the most like interesting thing about the Wizards because he has attitudes kind of, he's wearing those supreme leggings. And I think that's the biggest a, thing they're missing though is, not attitude. They have that. They they have maybe too much attitude at times when they kind of yeah. They're they're not backing heads. up that attitude, right? But I I think what John Wall is missing, I think, is a really dynamic forward. Otto Porter's great. Otto Porter isn't the right forward for John Wall. I, I think that's the position more than anything. He needs a like. I think a John Wall Paul George pairing could be incredibly good. But I don't know if. Like, Beal is really good, Porter is really good. I just don't think that brings the right mix to what he needs. Because, you know, they're all backcourt. Because even though Porter is good, he's not giving you enough. And when you look at what they have at the four and the five, it becomes problematic. They they need just kind of a better spread of talent on the roster. And there's not a lot you can do about that. I mean, you draft John Wall and you draft Bradley Beal. You're not going to complain about that. That's kind of, that's job well done. But at the same time, when you look at the roster now and as it's continuing to go on and they're not kind of reaching the level they should, okay, coaching is probably a part of that, but I'd, I'd feel pretty strongly about they just need, they need a different kind of option at a different position to give them a more diverse range of things to do. We have to move it on, but I'm taking it you're not afraid of the Wizards. 
No, but now that I think about it, the Bucks put on one of their more lackluster performances against them in the first game that they took them on, so that could I could easily eat my Wizards critiques. Yeah, but bigger picture, playoffs, you'd be content if the Bucks had a first round series with the Wizards. You'd like your chances. Yeah, much more than I did last year because the Wizards really burned the Bucks last year, if I remember correctly. Okay, Jordan, while you've been away, we have kept your segment going. Not necessarily all that easily. I'd, I'd be lying if I cared about it quite as much as you, particularly as the pace has fallen off dramatically and my goal of 100 seems all the more unrealistic. 72 still in play. But Jordan, it's time for the Jack Bauer count. We're both professionals. You know that I can force this information out of you, but I'm running out of time. Okay, Jordan. The last time we were here in one of our Monday episodes where we break down the Jack Bauer account, I believe it was at 26. When I say we, it wasn't you. I was here. I was responsible. What is the Jack Bauer account at now? Drum roll, please. 32. Okay, 32. Having played 34 games, not so good. It spiked in the last few games. In the game where Jason Kidd was benching players for not blitzing, so the blitz came back, they had three Jack Bowers. Who'd have guessed it? So, unfortunately for this segment and for us, the worse the book's defense gets, the better the Jack Bauer <laughs> counter is going to be. And th- that really, that spell where, you know, the books were good and they played more conservatively defensively, that wasn't good for the Jack Bauer counter, but helped the books. So, hey, we'll see how that goes. Jordan, we've talked a lot about the opponents for the coming week. We won't dive too deep into it, but let's run through predictions. Monday, New Year's Day. The Bucks will ring in 2018 with a road game at Air Canada Centre. What is your prediction for the game? <sighs> New Year's Day is kind of irking me. Depends if Delhi and... What, what books players do you look at and you're like, oh, they're going to go out and have a big one on New Year's Eve? Well, you never know. I mean, it's a big day. What? Why does that not affect the Raptors? Well, I, the other thing, too, this is actually probably the bigger... The books might be in the, the air when a cl- the, stro- the clock strikes midnight, so, you know. But is Delhi going to have his meat pie with his friends? Hmm. That could honestly affect the game <laughs> if the Bucks were to lose. I'm going to go uh, Toronto with a... Soft 14. Okay, a soft 14? I'm not sure there's quite a thing. That's quite a big loss. Um, I'm going to go books. I like the books in the Air Canada Centre. I think they will take this one just as seriously as they have, you know, the last two games. I could see a start like we saw against the Thunder and with some rest, hopefully they'd keep their foot on the pedal. I'm going to go... So you're thinking, you're thinking it's going to be more game one in Toronto and not game two or five in Toronto? Yeah. Well, let's go with that. I'll go books by eight. Pacers on Wednesday make their first trip of the regular season, if I remember correctly, to the Bradley Center. What's your prediction? Mm, that preseason game really irked me, if I want to use that word again. But with the injury and the form falling off for them, I'm going to go Bucks by nine. I think A little, hard nine. I, I think Old Depot should be back by then. Yeah, but lingering effects. And he might also have a meat pie. 
I think the Bucks will slip up on this one. You know, kind of name teams. Teams that they've always expected to be good. Good run. Come back home to play the Pacers. What could go wrong? Pacers by 11. Raptors make the visit to Milwaukee on Friday. What are you going to go with this time? Hard or soft number? Bucks or Raptors, Jordan? Will the Barty music be playing in the Raptors intros once that's, again? That's interesting. I'm sure that depends on how New Year's Day goes. Didn't they play the Arthur music for when the Cavs came? They did. The last they played time? the Arthur, and there was, the Arthur meme was up on the, the, the scoreboard. Board. That's definitely in play. I'm going to go, I'm going to reverse it. I think the Bucks take this one. I'm going to go with a, a mild 11. I'm going to go Raptors by five. I think these two teams will split <laughs> we this week. Switched every game. <laughs> I, well, I, it, it, and it probably won't make a difference overall because, you know, no. um, I, I think the Raptors and Bucks will split this week and I feel they'll get the, the next one coming up but then take their foot off the gas a little bit. And it's just like the Bucks have a three-game win streak and we're going, oh, they got something good going and then lose two in a row and, you know, back to square one. Close out the week. Second, I have a back-to-back traveling to DC to face the Wizards. What's your prediction? The Chocolate City will be Hershey's or will... <laughs> I'm trying to think of another chocolate, a pure dove. There we go. That's a chocolate, pure chocolate. I want to go. Oh man, God, these games are such a toss-up. I want to go to the Bucks, but no, Wizards by six. I go Bucks by four. It's when the Bucks should lose. <laughs> you know, traveling on the road, second over back to back, that they in fact win. I'm starting to learn this lesson as the season goes on. So I'm gonna go with that. Bucks by four. We went the complete opposite on every game this week to have. I think it's the first time ever. To have the books going two and two, both of us, right? All right, there you go. We'll see how that one works out. Um, We're back this time next week. Until then, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, and favorites on TuneIn Radio. We'll be back with the mailbag episode of the podcast. Now that Jordan's back, I'm sure we'll talk some Wisconsin Herd basketball and... We shall do that on Friday for all of you. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Make sure to continue reading us on BehindTheBookPass.com and we'll be back soon. Thank you, George. Thank you.